This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong and this is Banan, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. The future of squash looks to be in a good spot. As a couple of weeks ago, our junior squash team did really well in India at the Asian Junior Team Squash Championships. The women's team secured a record 10th crown and their 4th successive championship for the men's ended up jointed after losing to favourites and eventual champions Pakistan. It's a success that's guided by longtime junior coach Andrew Cross, who in 2019 was elevated as the assistant head coach for the senior squad. He joins us on the program this week as we talk about that tournament and chart the landscape of squash in the near future. Actually, I thought the performance in Chennai was, was pretty good, actually, because we went there with uh, four girls. Um, obviously, Ira was our number one player. Um, but our normal number two, three, and four are actually doing their SPM exams, so they were actually missing. Um, so we had to uh, draft together a girl from Yashmita who's actually studying in England. So we had to bring her across to, to Chennai, and then we went with uh, two younger girls. So the performance of the girls was impressive because all the other teams were, were their strongest teams, um, and obviously we couldn't take our, our girls. Yash probably could be, uh, she could be in the mix of maybe three or four, you know, um, but our other two girls, you know, we had to leave them behind. So in, in terms of the achievement, I think it was pretty impressive, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you have a big pool of talent to choose from. Uh, yeah, I think at the moment we have a, a little good group of girls coming through. Um, girls, traditionally, we've been pretty strong over the last few years. Um, we've managed to develop some through. So. Yeah, pretty happy with their performance and uh, the girls coming through. They always have something to look up to and something to look forward to. So, so far, so good. Great, great stuff. Uh, on the men's side, on the boys' side, fell to favourites, Pakistan, who were the eventual champions, uh, ending the tournament, a joint third. Um, f- from the men's side, from the boys' side, any lessons to take home? Yeah, so the boys' side is a little bit similar, actually. Uh, our number one, he studies in the States and uh, we couldn't get him out. So mm. we went with two young boys. Uh, Harith Daniel and Loa Cern, who can both play again in two years' time, so they're both just 16. So that actually for them it was fantastic. It was a great opportunity to get on court with some of those players. Um, I think I felt at the time we were one point from being in the final as well. Mm. Um, we we played India in the group, and Loa Cern had a chance to go to go two love up, which I think would have won it, but uh, didn't quite make it. And uh, yeah, we had to settle with the bronze. But good lessons for the boys, plenty of good experience for them. Mm-hmm. I think overall, a pretty solid, uh, successful campaign uh, from India for sure. Um, just, just to get a little bit of an overview of you know Malaysia's performance, Malaysia's level at the world stage, how would you rank uh, Malaysia's level, uh, especially at the junior level? Uh, so the juniors, uh, the last few years at the World Junior Girls, we've finished runner-up to Egypt. Um, that was in 2017 in New Zealand, 2019 in KL. There wasn't one, obviously, in 2021, mm-hmm. but 2023, I think we've got a good girls team that could do a runner-up position as well. Um, so that's going to be a bit of a challenge for them. Mm. Um, and then, obviously, on the boys' side this year, we finished third in the World Juniors in France. Um, so, yeah, on, on both teams, they're looking, looking pretty good. That's great. Uh, a bit on a, a more personal level, uh, you were made uh, assistant national head coach in 2019, just before uh, the pandemic hit. Um, how was your experience uh, in the national setup so far? Yeah, so I've been here 16 years. Yep. Um, so I've, you know, 
learned a lot over my time. Just before the pandemic, uh, the head coach left uh, mm -hmm. at the time, so so we had a little bit of a, a little bit of a shuffle. Um, but it, it's been good. It's been a big learning experience, taking on a, a different role of trying to help the coaches as well as help the players. Mm -hmm. um, so time management has definitely had to uh, improve, uh, as well as communication for sure. Um, mm -hmm. A lot more dealing with uh, ISN staff and support staff, as well as you know dealing with with my players as well I can't forget them uh, so yeah it's uh, it's become a come a lot of uh, communication and a lot of organization but so far it's, it's good and it's enjoyable it's great it's great a lot more responsibilities as well when a lot playing. more yeah <laughs> um, like, like you mentioned Andrew uh, you've been in the country for a long time you started coaching in 2007 at the age of 21 actually um, what made you decide to take the plunge into coaching uh, so I always enjoyed playing, but um, I always kept getting injured all the time. Um, and I <laughs> oh, and I knew that I knew that I was never going to uh, ascend to the top as some of my uh, friends had done. Uh, I trained with two guys; they both went to world number one, mm. um, and uh, I saw what they could do, and I knew that I couldn't do that. And my my old coach, he got me into coaching a lot, helping out with younger kids and helping out with them at tournaments. So um, he kind of passed on that responsibility to me and. Um, the job came up here and I thought, yeah, why not? Mm. Um, being, being really honest, the first year wasn't great. You know, I struggled quite a lot, but since then it's been, it's been pretty good. It must be quite a dynamic shift, right? You were playing and then at the age of 21, not many people think of going to coaching, you know, to teaching. Um, so it must be a big leap. Yeah, um, I saw it as a good opportunity um, just to test myself. Uh, when I first came, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the girls, so you had Lo We Were and Lo We Need. Yeah. And a few of the other players around that were that were a good good standard, and I thought I could try and help make them make them better. Didn't quite work out that way, but you know you learn from it. You have to adapt as a coach. That's what's part of life, right? Mm, um, mm. You know you will you will always always be everyone's cup of tea. But the ones that you can help, that's that's the one that's gonna gonna benefit. Mm. Coming in at twenty one, do do you feel that you had an advantage in the sense that you were a lot more inverted commas relatable to to the kids? Uh, yeah, maybe. You know, I still feel like I can relate to them quite a lot now. <laughs> <course>. Even though, <laughs> still young. <laughs> even though, yeah, I'm a little bit older now than what I was when I first came. But uh, yeah, um, but I had a different kind of lot of a different mindset back then. And I thought that they would kind of uh, follow in as what I would have seen back in England. But mm. uh, it, it didn't quite work out that way. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I had to I had to adapt and I had to change my ways. And But uh, I've definitely changed from those... 16 years ago, for sure. Um, I, I came from a from an England point of view and from their point of coaching, and then I came here and I saw different styles of coaching and, you know, learning from different people and learning from other coaches has, has really helped mm. helped me as a coach, for sure, yeah. Mm, let's go into that now. You know, uh, the style of coaching is different. You had to adapt. You had to adjust. What are some of the major differences and are those differences still prevalent today? Yeah, so I think, like... When I when I was in England, it wasn't a, it was more of like a lot of group sessions and match play and tactics kind of thing. Whereas whereas here, it's a lot more feeding, a lot more one to one personal kind of kind of, kind of contact. Um, you know, nowadays I, I, it, it's really good actually because how I how I train now is a lot different to to obviously back then. And I try to work in a lot more finer details than I than I did when I first came. You know, because. Now, now we're at the top end of the game. We're mm. trying to win com games, medals, Asian games, medals. So those little fine details make such a big, big difference in mm. terms of 
being in the gym, the strength and conditioning, to being on the court, all these kinds of things and how they all add up um, has really helped me, you know, in, in my career for sure. Um, but also you've got to learn off a lot of different people and I have a few good, good people I can talk to when I need help. Uh, like, what do you think about this or what do you think about that? And they'll give me a completely different viewpoint that I hadn't, hadn't thought of. Um, so I think that that's good as well. It's, it's good balance. Mm, for sure. Um, it's said that you are not uh, exactly a conventional strict coach, but instead you employ soft approaches uh, effectively. Um, how would you personally describe your coaching style and has it changed over the years? Yeah, so I try to be try to be approachable, obviously, but I but I want to... I, I work hard. So if, if I work hard, I expect the players to work hard. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if the session's at 8 o'clock, I will try to get there at 7.30. Um, then I expect the players to be there at that time as well, warming up and getting ready so that when it does come 8 o'clock, that we're ready to work, you know, so that these, these kinds of things are set in place. Um, yeah, so I want to be that, you know, I think player needs everything. So they need to be able to let off steam as well and they need to be able to talk to you about, about other things. Obviously, we need to have players. We have players that study as well, mm. so we need to be able to balance their kind of time. Mm. Um, you know, we have to be can't be fixed in a lot of things. Uh, so whilst I usually start work early morning, it can go on to quite late evening. Sometimes, if a player finishes class at five six o'clock, then mm. you know we have to work yeah. those extra hours to accommodate them. But yeah, I kind of expect that when they're at the session and. We're at the session working, we're working. And uh, outside of that, it's, you know, it can be a little bit more relaxed. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, what are some of the key skills or the key characteristics you look forward, uh, you look for in a player who's just starting out? A lot of people think that it's all about the, the ball striking. Then that brings in a, bit, a big part of it. But a lot of it is like what you hear from parents and from coaches about players. Mm. So, you know, like, okay, this player okay, is really, really good and you see them in tournament and you think, oh, they're just really, really good. And then the player, coach might say, oh, yeah, but he's really lazy. <laughs> and you think, okay, then these kinds of things you need to pick up on. Or this kid, you know, he might not be as talented as some of the other kids coming through, but it might be a super hard worker and you have a strong base there to work with. And I think as if that base is there, hard work, I think, is, is the main thing. And I think a lot of things can be taught. Some things are probably can't be taught, but a lot of things, you know, can be taught mm. to, to kids and to players. Um, they they all come through at different stages, and they all understand what you want at different stages. So you know, have to stick with it and, and hope that eventually they get it sooner rather than later. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, do you feel that there's that added layer of complexity because you are training juniors, you're training kids essentially? Yeah, but I also think you need to give them a little bit of leeway um, in terms of like, I want to give them, they have to develop as well. Squash is a sport, I think, where you want to express your personality, mm. um, you know, so I think the players need to express themselves and, you know, they'll all go through stages where they talk too much or then they don't talk enough mm. and then they're trying to find that balance of fitting in and they're trying to find their social groups and stuff like that so we have to make those little adjustments for them as well there'll be times where okay coach today i just want to train on my own so these little things are going to happen when they're when they're kids through to adults it doesn't happen as much yeah. mm. um and they're a lot more they know what they want they've come to a session they know what they want to do but with kids sometimes it could be like a little thing at school has happened and mm. then it's escalated and mm. uh, it can roll over so we can you know make little adjustments that way for them we try to i mean them being happy is the main thing i think the more happier they are 
the more you will you will get out of them. Mm. Um, so that's that's the main thing. Yeah, you want them to enjoy the game, right? Whilst they end up hating. Of course, it. Yeah. of course, yeah. And I think the other thing for us is that a lot of our kids are living there. It's like a boarding school. So we are coaches first, but guardians and parents second almost. You know, so it, it becomes a little bit of everything. And, um, parents will be calling and saying, "Look, what's happened today at school?" and blah blah blah. So it's it's a full on, you know. <laughs> there's there's times where you get calls late at night, or you need to go here, or we need to go there. Can you take me to the hospital? These kinds of things. So mm-hmm. you know, it's a bit of everything, really. That was Andrew Cross, junior squash coach and national assistant head coach. As this week, we are reviewing the tournament in India and also talking about his coaching philosophy. More of that conversation to come, so do stick around only here on Bar None on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, this is Bar None. My name's Daryl Ong, and this week on the program, we've been in conversation with Andrew Cross, longtime junior squash coach, as well as national assistant head coach. Recently, he guided the junior squad to a successful campaign in India at the Asian Junior Team Squash Championships, where the women's team secured their fourth successive title and the men's ended a respectful joint third, only losing to eventual champions Pakistan. Head coach Andrew Cross joins us on the program this week as we continue the conversation with whether kids these days are still interested in pursuing squash professionally. Yeah, I think we have a lot of kids at the moment. One thing that really has opened up in the last couple of years, and this has happened to us more and more, is that a lot of kids have started coming through when they get to 18, 19, have been moving over to the States. Um, the States have got a good program at the moment where uh, scholarships for Ivy League universities. So mm. we've had more and more players head in that direction. So Sanger is there at the moment, obviously. Yeah. Mm. Um, Wenli, and then there'll be we have Joachim there. And there'll be a few more, I'm sure, in the next couple of years heading in that direction. But it's um, there's nothing to say that after that they can't come through and be pro. You know, uh, two examples would be we had Ali Farag who went to Harvard. He went to world number one. We had Victor Kruin who just finished last year. He's top 10 in the world. So it is, it is possible for them. And I think there are a lot of squash players coming through that are now seeing that as, as a good option for them as well. So... We see a lot more juniors of ours. I mean, the British Junior Open this year, we had 40-plus players. And a lot of them, you know, were, were self-funded and looking for scholarships, maybe not now, but in a few years down the line. So mm. you have to get out there early. And I think it, it's good because it's competitive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's not many scholarships available. So if you want one, you have to be good. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think in recent news, in just a couple of days, Siva Sangari was um, nominated Ivy League uh, Player of the Year, right? And she, yeah, she's, correct. Yeah. I want to talk about that now, you know, players from Malaysia going to the States and in particular about the infrastructure here in Malaysia. In the US, for example, every gym would almost have a squash court. Squash courts are part of the university gyms as well. Uh, you don't have to be a player to try squash. It's is an open thing. Uh, do you foresee or do you see squash facilities in Malaysia reaching that level? Uh, so I think squash facilities here, they're pretty good um, and I think they're pretty accessible. I think Bookie Jalil is open almost 24 hours, really. Obviously, we book out certain times for training, but around that, 
it's it's open pretty much 24 7 um and i think there's other venues around so trying to think but i think they're kind of different setups uh so america is a lot more i've only been a couple of times so i a lot of the squash clubs are kind of private members clubs, right? right. Uh, and it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty wealthy. Um, the university is obviously doing well, and they're building a lot of courts and a lot of centres. Um, obviously, they built big thirty court facility in Philadelphia a couple of years ago, mm. but I don't think it's kind of taken off as they wanted it to. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think Malaysia is doing okay. Mm. I think the squash courts, squash courts around the world in general, though. Are, slowly getting smaller and smaller um you know so i don't think that's just a malaysian problem i think it's a, a worldwide problem gotcha. um and we're trying to you know make sure that the game doesn't go into extinction almost basically mm. speaking of squash being uh, less popular squash is not in the olympics uh, and that has been the topic of conversation for many many years now uh, we will probably have our first gold medal uh, if squash was in the olympics um what does squash as a sport um, in your opinion need to do to you know be considered for the olympics um i think they, they need way more tv coverage as much as possible uh i think a lot of people struggle with the rules around the strokes, lets and a no let. I think that's getting a little bit complicated, especially at the moment. Right. I think so. If we need to clean that up a little bit, if possible, um, it's not like you can turn on the TV and, and understand it straight away. Mm. Um, I think if you turned it on and watched it, you'd probably think, well, this is really slow and it's really looks really easy. And then all of a sudden people see it up close and it's a little bit faster. And then you give it a try and you've realized it's a lot faster than, than mm. what it looks like. Mm. So I think there's a lot of things that, that could be done. I think the game at the top at the moment is a little messy um, in terms of strokes, lets and no lets. And uh, right, I think right. that just needs cleaning up a little bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's the way it is. And this, it, because it's a referee that sits there and he can have, there's no real clear, super clear guidance on, mm. on how it is. Um, then, you're going to get differences of opinions and it's all pretty subjective. Mm. Um, and you have two different players all the time. So one rule could be one and could be slightly different for somebody else. So, you know, it's slightly subjective as to, uh, to what's happening. So I think that's where it needs cleaning up a little bit. Mm-hmm. To make it more spectator friendly and also less complicated. Um, you, you, yeah. You talk about squash being slow, but, you know, Olymp- Olympics has things like curling. So that's why I don't really understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Andrew, yeah. you, you, you've brought up and you've groomed a whole bunch of players in Malaysia um, over the last decade or so. Uh, Ian Yao, Shafiq Kamau, as well as Rachel Arnold. Um, just off your, your your list or your roster now, do you have players uh, for Malaysians to look out for in the ne- in the near future, the next squash superstar? Uh, so yeah, I think I think there's obviously I think Aifa's up there as well. Um, you know, she won the Malaysian Open last year. She went to 21 in the world a couple of weeks ago. So she's not going to be she's not going to be far off. People always say to me, um, since Nicole, there's been nobody. And then I think, well, I've got three girls in the top 30 at the moment. And yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think Nicole, obviously, what she achieved was unreal. Uh, there's no doubt in that. There probably won't be many again like her. And I think we have three girls at the moment that are pretty solid in Sengiri, uh, Rachel and, and Aifa. Mm. And to be honest, we have a group of girls after them that make decisions very, very difficult. So we have 
Aifa's little sister, Ira. We have Yi Zingying and we have Chen Yiwen and Aina Armani and Pandi. So we have four girls that really are fighting for one spot. Um, wow. And they're all pretty young. Um, just to put it into, into a bit of perspective, we have Aifa and Rachel won a bronze medal at the Com Games this year. And in the 3-4 playoff, they beat Aina and Yiwen who knocked out the world champions in the quarterfinals. Uh, but these two girls are only 20 and 21 years old. But so there's definitely a lot of players coming through, although you won't hear about them all the time, you won't read about them all the time. There's definitely some some good talent coming through for sure. Um, but yeah, I would I would pinpoint probably Ifa's just turned 21 and she's up there. Sangari's 24. They're, they're still pretty young. They've got a lot of development to do and there's just outside the top 20 and one's just fallen outside the top 20 so mm. yeah I think it's pretty exciting um, obviously the next challenge for us is we've put three in the top 30 next is three in the top top 20 and then hopefully three in the top 10 would mm. be the hope would be ideal but uh, yeah it's a lot of work mm, step by step for sure yeah one thing, right, Andrew, to discover new talent like you have, but also um, ensuring that the talent development uh, from the juniors, making that progression to the seniors is seamless, right? You talked about how um, when when your, your players move abroad and then some of them would drop out, you know, just give up squash altogether. How are you and SRA making sure that this transition is smooth? Yeah, so obviously between now and obviously you finish your junior career and then it's a, it's a lot of hard work between the juniors and, and getting to where people like Yao and Sangri have got to, you know. The transition needs to be, um, there's no, the game changes actually as you progress the game, the game changes. Hmm. Um, between like 150 and 200 ranking, the game's different. Between 150 and 100, the game's different. Hmm. Um, so you have to be able to develop and we have a, probably a group of boys that need exposure they need to get out they need to play matches they need to understand how the how the system works um, and I think that's that's where probably Yao when he was younger really benefited from Yao and Shafiq when they were 16, 17 they were playing PSAs almost every week or at least once or twice a month so they were getting a top level of competition mm. against players that were a lot older than them and had been around for a long time and they were playing them once or twice twice a month so they would get this exposure to move forwards and I think that's really benefited them now as to where they stand and it was the same for Rachel and a few of the others you know so I think that's the main benefit. It, it just gives our players someone different to play. Mm. Mm. You know, you don't want to turn up every week and play the same, same player people. and right. play the same player again and you just, you're just not learning anything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we want them to play different players. So there's another one coming up in about two weeks and I think they have seven or eight from Japan, which is going to be great because we're going to play different people. So you have to learn, you test yourself. Mm. It's like you have... It's like Every game is like a new puzzle for these kids. So they're 16, mm. 17, it's like oh, this guy does this, so I have to try and do that. And then this guy does this, so I have to adapt. Yeah. And I think the more the more they can do that and understand and adapt quickly, then that's going to make the real change for a lot of players. Mm-hmm. But also playing someone better than you, right? Yeah. Um, but but that, that, there's also a pretty much a sink or swim situation, right? You know, some keep their head above the water, but most... You know, uh, how, how do you yeah. balance that? You know that disappointment with you know um, confidence. Yeah, and I think you need when we we have that kind of thing. So I had a boy at the weekend who lost to the eventual champion, um, and I have to try to explain to him that he needs to look at the bigger picture. I don't want. I'm not. I'm not. 
I'm not too worried that he lost at the weekend, mm. but I want to see what he does. Mm. You know, I want to see how he how he reacts to it, and I want to see how he played during the game, and then we'll we'll analyze it and see what he could have done a little bit better. The main aim for him is that he has two or three more years in the juniors. His aim is to try and win the World Juniors in two or three years' time. So it, it's about looking at it with a bit of perspective. Kids sometimes don't get that. They see it as win played well and loss played terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's one of those things where you, you can actually play well and lose, but they don't quite understand that concept yet. So I have to try and get that... Uh, concept across to them hmm. um, you know you can play well and lose that's not an issue but if you play badly and lose then we do have a bit of an issue <laughs> um, but uh, I try to I try with with kids especially to look at big events so for me the big events are the British juniors the world juniors and the Asian juniors hmm. and we'll, we'll try to mark those so the British juniors was in January this year so we see where our standard is and then we want to try and improve that standard for World Juniors in in, in August, mm. um, and that's that's kind of how you work, mm. um, and that's that's kind of how I how I want players to improve. Um, I don't want them to take it all to heart and you know uh, give up because I played badly. Mm. Um, I think you know it's got to learn, and people lose. I've never seen anyone with a hundred percent record at the top of the game, so. Uh, yeah, they have to understand that. And the quicker they get that, the better it will be. Yeah, for sure. Looks like it's going to be a jam-packed, busy schedule, busy 2023 for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, 2023 is uh, is pretty busy. Hmm. Um, we have a lot of players leaving soon. Uh, we have some players that are just starting a training block now. Obviously, the big events coming up this year are the Asian Games in September, October time. And uh, for the for the World Juniors, this so... Yeah, big big things coming up. Mm, good luck for you for that. Uh, last question, Andrew, to live off with people listening to this, inspired by your story, inspired by uh, your guidance. Uh, do you have any words of wisdom, advice for aspiring young squash players in Malaysia? I would think that, you know, just keep working hard. Uh, I think at the end of the day, the more work you put in, the more solo that you can do, the more questions that you can ask. Not that it's not just in squash, but in, in general, you know, if the more questions you can ask, the more learning you can do, then the better it will be for you in the future. Um, don't be afraid to ask somebody. Uh, I think a lot of kids are a bit shy sometimes to ask. The worst that someone can ever say to you is no. So just ask. Um, you know, I try to get my kids to ask other players for games and they get a bit shy. It's like, just, just ask. The worst they can say is no, and go find somebody else. Mm. Um, so I think asking questions, hard work, and, and have a bit of belief in yourself. That was Andrew Cross, junior squash coach and national assistant head coach. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's Bar None. If you'd like to revisit that interview again, you can head over to our website real soon, www.dfm.my forward slash bar none for the podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. My name's Daryl Ong and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week only here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.